Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 67 of the Muscles and Management podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, this is the first episode that I will actually be filming. Um, so if you catch me awkwardly looking back and forth between, as I'm doing right now to kind of give you uh, an idea of what I'm talking about, between the microphone and the camera, um, I'm just kind of getting used to this. Not really sure if I'm supposed to just make eye contact with you guys the entire time or what I'm supposed to do, but we will, we'll get better at this for sure. Um, you know, so if you want to throw me a rating and then also make fun of me in the review about how I don't know where to look, then that is totally fine with me. Um, also wanted to just take a second to just kind of hopefully keep everyone, you know, staying positive a little bit. Uh, I am officially going on two weeks of being, you know, closed and stuck at home, which has made for some excellent podcast content, I will say. Um, really excited about how we were able to launch the second uh, weekly episode of the show um, last week, and I think it, it went over really well, and I'm really happy about the fact that these are going to be episodes that I record probably a day or two before they're released, so um, excited for the ability to be able to just change what I want to talk about based on what's going on, and, and that is kind of fitting to what the topic is for, to, for to, uh, today's episode quarantine home training tips, uh, you know, seeing that we are all stuck at home and, you know, we're all having to find ways to train either our athletes or if we're athletes trying to train ourselves uh, with, you know, the limited resources that we have right now. I thought this was a really good, um, you know, kind of topic to go with for this episode. If you haven't yet, definitely check out our previous episode. So last week's Meathead Monday, episode number 65, I did a uh, breakdown of how to force velocity profile yourself, kind of see when strength training in, in the general sense maybe has reached sort of a peak in terms of how much it will help you and some of the uh, returns diminishing, things like that. Uh, check that out for sure. Um, if you haven't yet, and then I had episode 66 with Brandon Howard, Texas Tech Associate, uh, Texas, excuse me, Texas Tech Football Associate Strength Coach. Uh, that was a really great one as well, talking a variety of topics, conditioning, speed, uh, a little bit on that force velocity profiling topic as well, you know, handling teams in a, in a team setting and, and what to look for and, and what to do for things like that, and, and a lot of other stuff. So he was great. Check that out. Coming up soon, um, which would be some one of these episodes this week, and then uh, the Meathead Monday next week. Wednesday, we have episode 68 with Tread Athletics, Ben Brewster, um, you know, talking about strength training in the sense related to baseball specifically, pitching training, um, you know, just a lot of really cool stuff. Ben has been in business, I, I believe, since 2015, um, crushing the remote training game in a very detailed and uh, scientific way you know, approach driven type of way. He had a lot of really good things to say. So I'm excited about that. And then the following week, episode 69, um, Meathead Monday, building uh, your first step. So I want to talk a little bit about it. Obviously, like I said, these are willing to flex. So if there's some topics that I see floating around and, you know, something I think I could help people with in the current times of like what we're doing and what we're going through, you know, today, uh, I will do that. But as of right now, it's going to be about building your first step, acceleration and things like that. So, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about, uh, like as I mentioned today, quarantine home training tips. So, I've had a lot of people reach out to me with questions, um, general questions, specific questions, and I also have been implementing some things with my own clients and athletes that I think I want to share and that I think are helpful. Um, I would say the first, above, above all else, thing that you need to remember in these times is 
importance of maintaining a schedule and kind of working on what is important. So the idea that like, if this were a week long thing, and obviously we know now that that is not the case, um, you know, creative bodyweight exercises and activities are great. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, not many, thankfully. I mean, I, I think I follow, you know, pretty smart people in the industry where I wouldn't see a lot of this, but, um, I've seen some, you know, 50 burpees, 50 sit-ups, 50 push-ups, uh, type things. And I just want to say, like, I get if the effort to, to create that and that was the best you could do, like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not here to kind of make fun of anybody, but, um, we need to be better than that. We need to be able to be better at maintaining a schedule in terms of like things that we would normally do in our training sense. Like I get, we don't have weights and we don't have, you know, turf maybe or, or sleds, whatever, but we need to find a way to work on the qualities we would normally work on in our training. If this were a week long thing, we could just do a week of bodyweight exercises and kind of get right back at it. But knowing that this will be a several week to maybe even month long thing that we're dealing with, we need to make sure that we are staying on a schedule and working on what is important. Um, just because we're home too, like there's no reason why we shouldn't still be, you know, breaking our training into, um, like I'm a conjugate programmer. So, you know, as you guys know, speed days, strength days, hypertrophy focus days, uh, conditioning, things like that, um, kind of all blending into the same training week. Obviously the, you know, how much we focus on each one differs based on, you know, what time of the off season it is, what our goals are, things like that. But, um, like I said, like we're home. Like it, it doesn't mean that that needs to stop. Like I'm putting programs together for my athletes and all the challenger athletes and, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, we're still doing things in a way that is similar to how we would do them at the facility. So they're having a speed day, they're having a strength day. And I know you're like probably thinking like, well, how do I do that? If I don't have weights and I'll get to that, but just above all else, make sure you're separating things. And it's not just like a, uh, massive assembly of just bodyweight exercises or just kind of like get up that day and kind of throw, you know, see what, you know, throw a bunch of shit at the wall and kind of see what sticks, uh, make sure we're breaking that down effectively. Um, and I, I have to say too, like the easy way, the easiest way to ensure that we are working those attributes, um, and that are important is to understand that, you know, bodyweight activities, um, if you, you fall into a lull of bodyweight activities, they don't have the highest transfers. Like I said, um, if we were working on just a week of this, we could do that, but we need to know that we need to find creative ways to just still be able to work speed, work strength, work power, all things like that. Um, and I, I think the biggest misconception here, and it surprises me because of how easy it is to go outside and sprint, but speed days are, are, are still able and must be done, uh, during this time. So just because, like I said, you're not at the gym with a sled, a track, everything like that. Sprinting outside is the easiest thing. There's no equipment needed. Throw your throw your shoes on. Go outside. You know, still work on your starts. Measure out how far you're going. Uh, a lot of my athletes are sprinting in the street, the driveway. Like you can find a way to get these things done. Um, there, there's no reason whatsoever you shouldn't be sprinting right now, in my opinion. Um, you can also do plyometrics without a box. Like we don't need a box to do plyometrics. We can do vertical jumps, broad jumps, lateral jumps. Uh, another thing that I saw, shout out to uh, Joe Aratari for this one. He actually, I, he put a video up, which is really cool, of him jumping up and touching the top of his garage. So um, I've always thought of like giving targets where like you could put your hand, someone's hand out like in front of you and try to jump over it. But another easy way, and I got this from Joe, would be to jump up and try to touch a, um, 
a reach for something basically to give yourself a reason to kind of put more into the load. Like when we do a box jump, a whole, a part of the benefit of it is if the box is a little higher, it gives us um, more of a stimulus to kind of nervous system wise, um, I guess kind of amp us up a little bit. Like we know we have to reach a certain height and we're more likely to load a little faster, even if subconsciously into the jump than if it's a lower box. So uh, making sure we have targets to go for, that is a huge thing. Um, another tip that I have is use bands for resisted sprints. So fasten a band around an anchor point. And when I say band, I don't mean like the straps I've been posting for the uh, overcoming isometrics. And I'm going to get to those. I'm going to explain some of that in a little bit. But, um, you know, throwing a, I, have, I use rogue resistance bands, throwing a rogue resistance band, um, around like the, your bumper of your car, uh, a light post, whatever, and putting it around your waist and doing your first two or three steps with a resistance of a band is really helpful and can be uh, useful in simulating like a loaded sled sprint. And, and as a trainer that uses loaded sprints, sled sprints a lot with their athletes, um, it's something that can be very useful and just kind of working, uh, you know, first couple strides. Um, and and uh, one last tip on the speed note is Timing your sprints, so like if you're home with your parents, if you're an athlete listening, or you're a coach giving programming, like have them time their sprints, even with a stopwatch, like if it's not the most accurate, it's like a laser, but odds are we're running alone with, you know, the social distancing and not being around our friends and everything, so give yourself something to compete for, um, just to make sure that like, yeah, some people intrinsically have the ability to just run as fast as they can every time they do a sprint, but um, some people don't. So if you have someone, like if your mom or dad want to come outside and just time your sprints for you to give yourself something to uh, strive for and make sure you're running at full speed and there's that competition part of it, we all be, we all know how important that is to uh, sprinting, you know, sprinting at max speed and as fast as we can is one of the easiest ways to get faster. So definitely do that uh, for sure if you're looking for kind of an easy way to, um, you know, spike the competitive edge if you don't have someone to run with. Um, now, in the vein of the maintaining a schedule and working on what is important, I said working on what is important, I didn't really get to uh, that, and, and this is why I want to get to it now. Remember what attributes last the longest and which do not. So what I mean by that is, and, then, and I've posted about this many times in the past, about in-season training. So like when you're in-season, you have limited time to uh, basically go after certain attributes like your your training time's a little limited with all the games you're playing and you need to really make sure that your training is dialed in on the most important things one but like what things are going to dissipate like what what qualities and attributes are going to dissipate quickly if we don't work on them so as we know there are things such as training residual charts and, and what they say is um, the qualities and attributes that we develop in the weight room or on the track or on the field, they have a certain shelf life, you know, how long they're going to last if we don't work on them. And we know that things like max speed have a really, really short shelf life. Like you cannot sprint for maybe up to a week and you're going to start to, uh, diminish in terms of your ability to, you know, sprint at your highest level. So you need to kind of have a chart in front of you and I'm going to post it Obviously, I'm going to make a post with this with side by side with me what I'm speaking right now. But you need to know what this chart says um, and, and let that kind of guide the amount of time and amount of energy you're putting in each one of those attributes. So if I know that my aerobic base lasts for up to 30 days, like why would I prioritize that week in and week out while I'm home training? Um, you know, I need to know that sprinting and max speed is the quickest to diminish. And I need to find a way to make sure that it's in my program every week. I need to make sure I'm sprinting every week. 
I need to know that uh, maintaining repeat power is anywhere from like 12 to 15 days. And if I'm not out there jumping and if I'm not out there doing things in more of an anaerobic, uh, you know, kind of sense where it's like max output, rest, and then do another uh, activity of max output, my ability to maintain high levels of power for long periods of time, like think about hockey, baseball, football, like we need to do max output stacked on top of each other with rest in between. And we need to best ensure that we can continue to exert power at a high level, um, you know, throughout the course of a game. So if that's something that diminishes in only 12 to 15 days, 15 days, give or take, um, I need to make sure that that, again, is prioritized more than my aerobic conditioning. So maybe like once a month, once every three weeks, you you keep your aerobic capacity where it needs to be if it's already where, if you've built it up to where it needs to be ready. But like, we need to make sure that training residuals like speed and repeat power are things especially speed like max output speed it's, it diminishes very quickly we need to make sure we are doing everything we can to sprint once a week and maintain that where it needs to be the one last thing i wanted to say is max strength is right up there with aerobic capacity in terms of if it has the longest shelf life so max strength can last for up to 25 to 30 days if it's not specifically worked on However, do not get confused with the idea, and I'll give you an example. I have a young athlete who does the trap bar deadlift at the facility, and while we did single leg strength training and a lot of other stuff like that, the last two weeks he did not specifically use the trap bar. Just because you can maintain strength for up to 30 days, it might not apply to a specific lift itself. But don't let that make you think that you haven't done a good job of maintaining your strength. If you haven't done your trap bar deadlift in four weeks, but you've done single leg squats, heavy rear leg elevated squats, overcoming isometric, things like that, you still are probably just as strong as you were beforehand, but maybe just in that particular lift you aren't because you haven't done it yet. So don't worry about that if you see that. Like you're, you're not going to be able to do all the lifts that you can do in a regular situation. So just know that generally maintain your strength and just know that like you don't have to go crazy about doing it. Um, you know, overcoming isometrics while you're home, if you're, if you're missing weights, um, you know, is a great way to kind of get that. And just know that you, you have 30 days, um, you could probably do nothing for three weeks and still be fairly close to being as strong as you were before this whole thing happened. But if you did absolutely nothing in terms of sprinting, I bet you, you wouldn't be nearly as fast. So just keep that in mind. Um, training for strength with no equipment. So I mentioned overcoming ISOs next little segue, ne nice little segue here, but uh, the biggest thing you need to remember is you have to program for what you have. So I'll give you an example. I've been programming for all my athletes and basically having them send me a list of, you know, what they, um, you know, what they have at their disposal at their homes or, or whatever it is, who has a bigger home gym, who doesn't, who has nothing, who needs all bodyweight exercises. You need to program for what you have. So make a list of the things you have access to and build a program around those things in addition to building it around your goals. So lay out your goals, lay out the things that you need to focus on the most based on the residual chart, and then lay out the program that, the, I'm sorry, excuse me, the um, equipment that you have to make your program from. If you lack weights, get creative. Load suitcases, buckets, book bags, suitcases for, you know, suitcase carries, buckets for farmer's walks, lunges, um, really get creative, you know, with what you're doing, drag a tire for a loaded sprint. I mentioned the band sprints before things like that, like really get creative and, and use whatever you have as best as possible. Overcoming isometrics. So now I mentioned overcoming isometrics 
previously, um, they are a really, really good way to recruit motor units. And I've used these, we use these in the facility, obviously, um, a lot. And what that means is you are exerting a force against an object that's not going to move. So you could exert as much force as you possibly want to, and this thing isn't going to go anywhere. It's a fixed surface. And when you exert that max force, just like when you try to lift a really, really heavy squat out of the hole, you are exerting max force and recruiting um, motor units. That is pretty, the essence of how these activities are done. And like I said, that is very similar to maximum strength training, like getting underneath your the, the bumper of your truck and doing a deadlift and trying to pull the truck. And obviously you're not moving the truck, but you're exerting all that force in that hinge pattern. It would be just the same or very closely, very close to uh, pulling that deadlift bar from the floor with max uh, effort to lift a, you know, a load that's high up towards your threshold of your one rep max. You can also alter the... Uh, range of motion. So if you had a car, uh, a truck or a car with the bumper at a certain height, you could stand on something to make the range of motion different. You could go, um, you know, just off the floor uh, to make the range of motion, whatever it is, you can alter that. So if you really wanted to get the effect of lifting it, like you are lifting a bar from the floor, for example, on a deadlift, stand on something and make it a little lower. You can also fasten a strap. I, I posted videos with a stretch strap, a towel, to, et cetera, to an immovable object try or lift or pull it. So put a strap on each end of your, uh, of a light post and do, you know, presses like you're doing a uh, standing chest press. Um, you know, put the, put yourself up against the back of your truck and park and um, get in a split stance position like you're pushing a heavy sled and push, try to push it as best you can for single leg work. Uh, I mentioned the deadlift example. I posted a landmine example. You can face the, uh, like let's say you put two straps around the bottom of a light post in your neighborhood and you literally got in a rope position and like you were like pulling a, a heavy sled with rope and you could just pull the um, the ropes against the, or the straps against the light post for that maximum pull effect of the overcoming ISO. So definitely get creative with that. And as for a little rule of thumb for the uh, isometric holds, just remember, like if you were doing three to five reps or three reps, two reps on a heavy squat or heavy deadlift or whatever activity you're doing for strength work, the set's probably not lasting more than, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds. And you have to account for the fact that you're not ten, you're not under tension the entire time. So you're resetting over the top of a squat, on the floor for a deadlift, et cetera. So I like to assign two seconds of maximum exertion on an overcoming ISO pull for every one rep you would normally perform. So a three rep strength set, I would say is equivalent to a six second maximum overcoming iso, isometric hold. Five reps, 10 seconds, one rep, two seconds, you get the idea. So general rule of thumb with those. Also, I think they are great to pair with hypertrophy slash time under tension sets. So what I mean by that is, you know, you do your um, your deadlift pull uh, with the your truck or whatever you're using, towel, whatever it is, and then drop down to your hip thrust, pair them together. It's a really easy way to fatigue the muscle groups with the overcoming ISO. While they're fatigued, you can capitalize and you can kind of get into a hypertrophy uh, position with more of the fibers fatigued already and exert them under a fatigued, uh, in a fatigued sense. So as we know, that is really useful for hypertrophy. So I think those are great to be paired together if you're a more advanced athlete. Now, training for hypertrophy with no equipment. This is a little easier. The number one way we can kind of get tension on our muscles is, like I said, I mentioned tension, time under tension. So even without weights, 
uh, making sure that you know we are utilizing isometrics, eccentrics, things like that. Um, you know, creating a mind muscle connection with lighter load. So really making sure that we're getting a good contraction or squeeze. So I'll give you an example. I was doing you know curls with 15 pound dumbbells uh, the other day, and I put fat grips on them, but they were still really light, and I had to basically pull them as high as I possibly could up to like my chin level and squeeze my bicep for me to really feel it. And eventually I did feel it and, you know, making sure that I really still squeeze the bicep on the eccentric, like don't do empty eccentrics, like make sure that the muscle is tensed during the lengthening portion and really get a good squeeze at the top of every uh, movement. You know, yielding isometric holds are really useful. So that'd be like holding a hip thrust or a hip bridge and just kind of holding it up in the air and squeezing um, things like that. Like those are really, really helpful. Uh, you know, for kind of making sure that we're getting as much tension as we can out of these movements. And last but not least, I already referenced this a little bit in my maintaining a schedule, but keeping structure, track, use spreadsheets, etc. Make your plans before the week starts. This is the number one way to know that you have a plan and you get up each day knowing what you need to do uh, for that given day. It kind of prevents us from just falling into lulls of just doing random stuff throughout the day just because we're home. Like I said, this is going to be something that lasts a little longer than we anticipated. We need to have a structure. Otherwise, we're going to just aimlessly program exercises and not know what our goals are. And like I said, this is going to go on for several weeks. We have to have a plan to make sure that we are not just aimlessly kind of going around doing whatever when it comes to our training, like have a purpose and set it out and, you know, have that program laid out for ourselves. So we are still training like we are in our facility. Closing thoughts. Um, I would say I, I kind of covered everything that I wanted to, but I would say just the big takeaway from this, be creative with what you have around you and program for what you have around you in addition to programming for what your goals are and how long we know our certain attributes will last. I think that is huge. Um, we need to make sure that, uh, you know, we're doing what we need to do, you know, to stay in a position uh, of good physical, uh, you know, maintaining these physical qualities, sprinting every week knowing what things will last longer, what things won't, and, and just building our programs around what we have access to, what our goals are. It's, it's a package deal. Um, so I would say if you make sure you do those things that you will be all right. Um, you will get through this in a few weeks and be able to get back to your regular training and be in a position where maybe not only did you maintain you know what you had built beforehand, but you could possibly improve it. So there's no reason to say that this has to be a time where we lose what we have built. We can easily get after it. We have to just make sure we're doing it in the right way. Um, you know, I really hope these tips helped you guys, uh, coaches out there, athletes, whatever, if you're either, either making the programs yourself or following along that these tips helped you even a little bit. Um, I'll be back with you guys on Wednesday with Ben Brewster from Tread Athletics. Uh, until next time, peace.